TED Audio Collective. When I started working on this episode, guess where I was? In the Northern Territory of Australia. Oh, just 13 and a half hours ahead of New York. I was there to speak at a conference, and I can't tell you how hard it was to schedule meetings with my colleagues in the States. But we made it work, and the reality is I was super productive. Honestly, it was pretty nice to work while other people were asleep and to sleep while other people were working. I woke up to their responses. They woke up to mine. I was super efficient. I didn't miss a beat. The pandemic made remote work even more popular, allowing companies to embrace more global hiring practices. My experience in Australia really showed me that it's possible to work successfully across time zones. And that's a great thing because now more than ever before, we have the tools to build truly international workplaces. And we can all reap the benefits of bringing in talent from far and wide. I'm Madhupa Akinola. This is TED Business. Our speaker today is Johan Daniel Harnas. He's here to tell you about the amazing advantages of hiring beyond borders. And he explains how to build the systems to make that possible. Then after the talk, you'll hear me chat with my dear friend, Sadal Neely, a Harvard Business School professor and expert on virtual and global work. We'll keep the conversation going and discuss the practical steps companies can take to support a more global employee base. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. 
Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Last summer... I was in New York and had a conversation that had me thinking ever since. I met Mubarak Imam, one of the early engineers at WhatsApp. And what she told me changed how I look at migration. She said to me, Johan, I will never forget the first time I walked into the office at WhatsApp. It felt like a mini United Nations. And she explained to me that it was precisely that global diversity that made them design the app, not just for the average U.S. college kid in mind, but for a truly global audience. And in that process, they asked questions few others would, like, does the app work in the more rural parts of Africa, Asia, and elsewhere? Or will it work for a refugee on a boat sending a message back home to their family? The rest is history. WhatsApp became product fit for the world, and chances are you, like me, might be using it every single day. Of course, WhatsApp is not just an outlier. Look at ChatGPT, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines, Google Search, YouTube, the iPhone, the list goes on. Each one of these pretty remarkable products was built by teams of immigrants and locals working creatively side by side. And that's why leading companies today, they don't just outsource internationally to save money on cheaper labor. They do that. But what they also do is that they hire immigrants for their insights, experiences, and unique perspectives. There are 280 million international migrants in the world today. And many more, up to 750 million people, say that they would move internationally if they could. I lead our research on global migration here at BCG, a global consulting firm. And I also advise governments and companies on innovation and migration strategy. Outside of work, I co-lead a team of more than 100 volunteers. We are Imagine, and we are a community of talent without borders. And every day, we help skilled migrants from places like Afghanistan, Syria, Egypt, Pakistan, Nigeria, or elsewhere. We help them find a new job abroad, come here, and integrate into a new life. And from these experiences, I can tell you, these 280 million people, they aren't just statistics. They're real human beings with families, dreams, and hopes of a better future. Yet too often, when they relocate, they're met with fear, prejudice, or even outright violence. Yet in my mind, migration does not have to be a zero-sum, one game where one person wins and the other person loses. No. If we look at it differently, it can actually be a source of great strategic advantage, both for companies and entire countries. We looked at this recently in a joint report with IOM, the International Organization for Migration of the United Nations. And in that report, we published two headline figures. One, migrants already today create a massive boost to our local economies, totaling 9 trillion US dollars a year in 2020, and that impact will only increase to 2050 to 20 trillion US dollars a year. And what's more, Migrants can help us address pretty acute labor shortages that we see in our economies. Because it turns out, we don't have a lack of jobs. In many countries, we tend to have a lack of workers. And that lack of workers, it costs all of us dearly. 
3 billion US dollars, not per year, but per day. And that is doctor appointments not happening, packages not delivered, or flights back home being canceled. So how can we make migration work better for everyone? That's exactly the question we looked at when we recently interviewed 800 executives in a recent BCG survey. And what they told us really surprised me, because 95% said, Johan, we see the value in hiring globally. But only 5% said, and yes, we're already doing it strategically and we're getting the results to show for it. So companies seem to struggle big time to follow the lead of WhatsApp and others. And when we dug deeper and wondered why, we initially thought it was a visa issue. But then we took a closer look at the visa policies of more than 25 countries. And we found that with the exception of the US and China, all the other countries actually give a pretty direct path to entry for work. If you have a bachelor's degree, have a job offer, and make just a little bit more than the average salary in the country. All of these conditions can be quite easily fulfilled by recent university graduates with just uh, two or three years of work experience. So the visa process, could it be faster and easier at times? Absolutely yes. But is it the showstopper that keeps talent and opportunity away from each other? Clearly not. So what is it then if it's not a visa issue caused by government bureaucrats? In my view, the issue lies in the world of business and within all of us. And that's actually the good news because it means that we can all change it. Changing it starts with senior executives. Because like any other business priority, it must come from the top or it ain't gonna happen. Let's take a look at Rakuten, for example. Rakuten is a Japanese e-commerce company that by now has expanded globally. But in 2010, the company was totally lost in translation, translating documents across English and Japanese and back on a daily basis, losing days of work, and also making it pretty hard for global talent to join the company. So the founder and CEO, Miki Mikitani, he stepped up and issued a decree. He basically said, from today on, all meetings, presentations, down to the canteen menus, they must be in English. Sounds easy, is not. So for the next few weeks, absolute chaos ensued. And for sure, you can imagine, it was a pretty stressful transition for many executives not home in English as their first language. But over time, the decision paid off. And the company turned from a formalistic, hierarchical one into one that is much flatter and more decentral. And if you visit their offices today, you will see people that migrated to Japan from places like Bulgaria, France, Germany, India, Indonesia, and elsewhere. And since then, the company has uh, expanded into 30 countries and is seen as the poster child of a modern, digital, and global Japan. Once senior executives are on board, human resource teams are next. In the past, these HR teams, they could afford to basically just write a local language job description and hire from a talent pool largely 50 miles around the headquarters. Today, not so much. And leading HR teams for many positions, they actively hire globally. Let's take a look at Douglas. Douglas is Europe's number one beauty retailer with more than 1,800 stores across more than 15 countries. Yet in the pandemic, they had to close many stores and they made a hard turn towards e-commerce. And they knew that in order to do that, they had to dial up their tech teams. Yet they really couldn't find the tech talent here at home in Germany. So to fix that, they did two things. One, they introduced a fully remote digital hiring process complete with hard and soft skill assessments. And they also launched a new hiring campaign called The Code Behind the Beauty in order to attract a more global, diverse set of applicants. 
Since then, they've hired a QA tester and product managers from our Imagine pool. And they're also broadened hiring more globally and hired developers and for other roles completely internationally. And as a result, they managed something pretty rare for an offline retailer. And that is translating their offline strength into true online growth potential. And the cherry on top, doing all of that by following the latest and freshest HR best practices that benefit not just foreign workers, but all of their talent base. Finally, let's look at you and me and all of us who don't work in HR teams and don't lead global companies just yet. So the next time you're hiring for one of your teams, ask your HR colleagues to maybe also shortlist a couple of global candidates. And when you interview them, be ready to be surprised. A couple of months ago, I spoke to a group of female developers from Afghanistan seeking a career abroad. And yet, despite the unimaginable horrors of their daily lives and the injustice that they're facing, they actually brought a degree of positive focus and skill and creativity to the conversations I could only deeply admire. Yet, frankly, in other circumstances, it turned out differently and people were clearly not mentally or culturally ready for life abroad. Over time, I personally learned to check my own biases at the door and I'm still working on it. But let me give you an example. When people address me by email as esteemed sir or doctor, um, I don't immediately cringe or think that they might not be culturally ready. No, I learned over time that they only mean it as a sign of respect. Yet, let's face it, the culture gap is real and it can always help to get some culture coaching. In fact, I'm a culture coach myself, sometimes in my own family. So a couple of years ago, my brother Jonathan was uh, applying for a job in the US as a research scientist. And initially he was struggling just a little bit. So I took a look at his emails and I could tell he was writing them from a very German mindset. Let me give you an example. He wrote something like, Dear Dr. Smith, I'm writing to you in relation to my previous letter from April 22nd. I haven't heard a reply from you since. True story. It's not just too formal. It's uh, borderline rude by American standards, even though in Germany, believe it or not, you still might get away with it. So I told him to rewrite his emails in a more global standard, something like, Dear John, I hope you had a great weekend. I'm following up on my blah, blah, blah. You get the message. And with that, and because it's great, he got the job. And what's so unique about this is he did not have to learn a new skill spending years on it. All that it took was somebody pointing out to him the small but significant changes in the way he presented himself. And now, after a couple of years, he's a great culture coach himself. And in fact, I think that is something we can all aspire to. Because migration is indeed one of the great possibilities of our lifetimes. One that we can all contribute to. And one that clearly has in business so-called first-mover advantage. And that's why I predict that companies who embrace the most global, most educated generation ever, they will win in the marketplace, while others who still stand on the sidelines, they won't. I call that global talent advantage. And it applies as much to companies as it does to entire countries. I think it's time that we change perspective and see migrants not as a threat or as a burden, but as an opportunity. An opportunity to build more vibrant and innovative nations, and also an opportunity to do our little share to make the world a better place for all. Thank you. 
Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Johan's talk was great. And it's so true that we all need to get up to speed and make sure people have employment opportunities no matter where they live across the globe. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. I've actually invited a good friend and expert to come on this show and help us dive deeper into these ideas. Who is this amazing woman that I'm talking to right now, Sadal Neely? I'm on the faculty of the Harvard Business School. My work sits at the intersection of work, technology, and organizations. So I look at all the ways that technology enables us to collaborate together, whether it's global work, virtual work, and nowadays, digital AI-driven work. In this talk, as you know, Johan referenced the move made by Rakuten to make English the lingua franca. And I've known you for a long time. And I know you've had a front row seat in that process. In fact, you wrote an entire book about it. Tell us more. So first of all, Rakuten had reached a point where they had saturated their local markets, dominated. The market share was at 90%. And the only way to grow and expand for a public company was to really begin to globalize uh, their services, their offerings, and to continue to innovate. And the only way to do Mm -hmm. this for the CEO, Hiroshi Mikitani, was to announce to the company that they had to move to a global standard language, which was English. And as Johan mentioned, it truly enabled them from accessing only Mm 36,000 potential computer scientists every year that graduate to Japan Mm -hmm. to about two or three million people they could access worldwide. By the way, full disclosure, always important for us at the Harvard Business School is I actually do sit on the board of Rakuten Mm -hmm. and I've been a close advisor to and kind of member of the organization for many, many years. So there's a lot of information that's not only in the book, but beyond that touches on the idea that we need to transform ourselves in order to achieve our global reach, but also... In 2019, Madupe, mm-hmm. the CEO required every employee to learn how to code in Python. Oh, wow. Why? Digital transformation. It's yeah. the language of data, the language of computing, hmm. the language of algorithms. I love that because, you know, we think of language as meaning one thing. And that example demonstrates that language is a broad 
yes. aspect of how we do business. And yes. the thing is, I mean, I was thinking just the fact that making everyone speak English that can lead to some sense of exclusion, making people who are like, I'm not a numbers person, I'm not a Python person, you know, learn how to code in Python might lead to some exclusion. So how did they mitigate that? And how do you not kind of exacerbate inequities when you make these mandates? That's the huge risk yeah. that we faced, right? It was a huge risk that we worried about, but it's actually counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is when you have a wholesale mandate at a company level, that's how you mitigate exclusion. Yeah. You are yeah. actually including every single person. It's saying actually by learning baseline content. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about these these folks are not uh learning to to write like James Baldwin, right? They're right, learning right. to communicate <laughs> and collaborate. Now, you you mentioned just a, a global company that they now had access to millions more customers and talent and all that. And we know living in the US that the visa process can be such a hindrance. Yes. How has that shaped some of, of the ability to work globally and how has your work spoken to yeah. how you actually get people physically in a place to make it a more global organization? With the challenges that you see in visas, what ends up happening more and more is that you have globally distributed work. People may come to various sites in person for firsthand mm-hmm. experience for short periods of time, visits, mm-hmm. etc. But what we've seen is actually an explosion of globally distributed work, meaning you have people who are located in different parts of the world but still can collaborate. And what yeah. they need to deal with are time zone challenges, yes. cultural differences, technology infrastructure differences, etc. But the the physical is becoming less and less and less of a hindrance in a world where the technologies enable us to collaborate well. But I'll tell you this. Mm -hmm. I have literally two decades worth of people telling me that even one in-person visit can shape the entire relationship. If I'm working with someone and we work together all the time, I'm in Paris, they're in Dallas. If we have spent in-person time even once, shapes our interpersonal connection. And, you know, as this world is shifting more to remote work, I think that that is such an important insight that it's even just takes just one. What other insights would you have for, companies, individuals, as they are doing this remote work thing, it's becoming so much more prevalent. In fact, you and I were just talking about how we've barely even seen each other in person and that everything is just from a distance. Thoughts on who does it well? How do you do this successfully as a company? Yes, I have so many thoughts on this. I've always been convinced that the virtualization of work was inevitable. Yeah. The pandemic merely accelerated it. Yeah. And so the companies that have done this well don't flip-flop. They decide mm. that they're going to be a hybrid organization and they begin to set up actual practices to help people there. One of the failure points that I've seen is that leaders say they want hybrid and then they contradict themselves, whether through some announcements and policy, et cetera. So that's one. The commitment has to be there because otherwise it makes people feel uneasy about their practices. The second thing is 
people have to be very intentional on when they invite people to come into the office, whether it's twice a week or more, they have to be intentional on the purposes for these in-person activities. So Mm -hmm. I talk about using the office as a tool, much like we use our technologies as a tool. Mm -hmm. What you do in person has to be different than what you do virtually. Do you have any practical advice for companies that are looking to increase their pool of global talent? What should they be doing more of, less of? Oftentimes, the place to start is the place where people want to enter, markets they want Mm -hmm. to enter or Mm -hmm. want to expand in. And uh, oftentimes, it has to begin with visits there or sometimes even expat assignments uh, so that people are really uh, building and understanding the local markets. Who do you hire? How do you train people? How do you integrate them? How do you Mm -hmm. think about uh, um, data privacy and IP privacy and cybersecurity and other things? So it's really important to understand those. The second thing is to select a place based on time zone friendliness. Mm. Some time zones are absolutely unforgiving. And to place team members in these unforgiving places will only create strife within the group. Those are places to start, but the market you want to penetrate is a good place to think about your expansion strategy from a talent pool standpoint. I always love spending time with you. These nuggets that you've dropped, and I know that our listeners will love uh, all you have to share because it's so important and it's just an important reminder of how this world is changing and we need to change and adapt in so many different ways. Thank you so much. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Pushkin Industries and fact-checked by Hana Matsudaira. Special thanks to Alejandra Salazar, Michelle Quint, Corey Hajim, and Colin Helms. I'm Madupa Akinola. Talk to you again next week.